0: back and stroking
1: to Bogdanovich, thinking about What's going on, everybody? It's a brand new episode of The Feed to Embiid. Uh, I am Austin. Of course, you recognize the other voice there who will be talking in a moment. Brock Landis is back uh, for another an- another episode of this great podcast. Brock will be giving his story of how he finally met Joel Embiid. Oh, come on. The, the, the namesake of the podcast as well as some other uh, things, including uh, the first impressions of Jalen McDaniels. Um, <clears throat> there will be a little bit of all-star conversation, and then uh, looking ahead at the final stretch, and whether or not Joel can still win the MVP award this season. Brock, how are you tonight, my friend?
0: I'm good. Always a Pleasure, my friend. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate the work that you do.
1: Thank you, my, thank you, my friend. Uh, Brock, let's. So, you, you post this picture on Twitter one night. I think they, they, it was the night they lost to Oklahoma City, I believe. The Magic. Uh, magic sorry, the Magic. Magic. Um, it's a picture of you and Joel. Joel has his, has his hand on your shoulder. You can go to Brock's Twitter at Landis Brock to find this picture. Um, many people wanted to know in in, in various group chats that I've in, how Brock Landis ended up finally getting a picture with Joel. Let's tell the story, Brock. Go for it.:
0: I think the results lie in the work, and this is something <laughs> that's been overdue for a season now. Drew Hanlon and Beach trainer caught wind of the content I post. And this happened last season, and Drew and I started talking on occasion just about the content. And then Embiid one night when they played Chicago on the road at like 3 in the morning last year followed me on Twitter. And I get this notification. Of course, I'm floored. But I didn't think I could take it this far. So Drew at the time after talking for a couple of weeks said, we got to get you to a game. What city do you stay in? Things of that sort. But it never happened, and I just stayed the course. Drew and I stayed in touch. I was never upset because I thought it was cool enough in the first place that I got his eyes on my content and further Joe was following me, and he was able to see some of the stuff I create. But what happened is Drew and I talked. We maintained a relationship on Twitter specifically. And then a couple of weeks ago, he DM'd me, and he said, do you want to roll to the Magic game with us? I'm in Philly. I figured you could come with us. Joe would love to have you. I said, of course, I'm not going to say no to that. So I dropped everything. I called off of work that day. I woke up a little nervous. I was in the gym trying to take my mind off of it, decompress. (laughs) It didn't really work. It's one of those situations where I put these people on a pedestal, but now it's time to go through with it. There's no going around it anymore. And I think it's funny. I went to Paul Reed's birthday party last year. I know the owner of the venue who hosted the party. So you had Paul Reed, Jaden Springer, Isaiah Joe, Charles Bassey, Miles Powell, the younger guys, G League guys, guys in between. And I'm there with my man's Trey, and I was nervous. It was personal. We're up close and personal with these guys. There weren't fans there. It was people that were friends of Paul. And I was nervous, right? I say all that to say I'm at this game a guest of M Embiid bead MB knows I'm coming. I'm there with drew who's a world renowned trainer and I wasn't nervous at all. I-, I wanted to treat it like I belonged and they treated me, everybody there with a ton of respect. I don't want to go too much into the personal details, but I got there within a couple of minutes of getting to the siege. Drew scooped me up. We go on the floor, James PJ, George, we got to say what's up to those guys. Michael Rubens there. I got to shake Rubens hand. We saw Daryl Morey. We met some staff, Sam Cassell, the security guard, who I believe is just Sixer security on the floor. You see him there all the time, but he's like specifically MP security.
1: He follows I think him. It's, I, think, I think his name is Rudy.
0: Something like that. I don't remember the name, but just rubbing elbows. with those guys being on the floor, it was really cool. Just to see him go through their warmups and, kind of pick Drew's brain about what this means, what a guy doing this implies, what you run this guy through. And it's not like Drew is just Philly specific, Embiid specific. He trains Tyrese Halliburton, R.J. Barrett, Ty Hero, Tatum, to name a few. So I was really just picking his brain about basketball, and we are talking about officiating some of the guys I grew up watching, the guys he grew up watching. He took me through that. We go – uh, In past where the locker room and the strength conditioning room is, there's like a little bar, restaurant, food, self-serve, buffet-type thing. We got great eats. They didn't even let me think about opening my wallet. And what was really cool is that I've been doing this basketball stuff for a little while now. The content, I've gone to college games, high school games. I went to the Rump. And it's just like, man, these people don't know what I do. These people don't know how much I watch and the stuff I create. I wish these people really knew what I did. I'm just another guy at these events. Here it didn't feel like that. I'm on my way there. and Embiid's assistant calls me, make sure I has, have the tickets. We're looking forward to having you. Hope you have a great time. I'm with Drew, and it's like Drew's the homie. It wasn't like I was a fan or I yeah. was the winner of a contest. It was like he brought me there as his homie. So that's how I treated it. And they treated me with that respect, Drew and Embiid. And because Drew's face card is so valid in Philly and Boston and New York, he can basically do whatever he wants at the Wells Fargo Center. Everyone knows him there. He could go wherever. He could do whatever, essentially. So I I had that same privilege, the same opportunity. And, man, it was so cool meeting Drew and having Drew kind of respect me as a basketball mind, as a person, and now all things considered, there were funny nuances throughout the game with Embiid communicating with Drew and things Drew told me, which, like I said, I'm not going to get too personal about just for their sake. But after the game, all things considered, you lose to Orlando, Paul Reed comes out, PJ comes out, past where the press is, where the players leave their exit. And they were pretty somber. I said to Drew, hey, look, I'm just grateful for this experience. If I just get the fist bump, Joe, and tell him, hey, keep doing your thing. I'm cool with that. I don't need a picture. And he was like, we'll see what happens. We'll read it. Sometimes I set these things up with kids where players don't show up and they're supposed to sign a jersey and take a picture with the kid. And and it's just because they lost. You can't really control these things. But Joe came out. Joe was excited to meet me. He said, it's nice to finally meet you. We had a little embrace. We chopped it up on the way out of the stadium. And then at the end, he told me something really cool, which was really cool to hear from Embiid a guy who I watch every night and idolize and, and put on this pedestal. So it was probably the most fulfilling moment I've ever had in my life because I had no regrets. I went in myself. I said and did everything I wanted to do, and I made that connection. So I'm really proud of myself and thankful for those guys for such an experience.
1: Well, what, what, what was the thing he told you at the end? You can't leave them a cliffhanger like that.
0: <laughs> I don't want to share too much of the personal information, but Joe told me something that was really cool and i after that told joe thank you i appreciate you i thank drew and, and and the woman he was with i believe it was his girl or his fiance. i don't know who it was uh but we had a really great time and and i hope to be back being at work being at my nine to five since that happened the two weeks removed has been hell bro it's been hell because every day i'm like this is where i should be i should be monday through friday at the games, kicking it with Drew, talking to this player. So it's motivation, but definitely been a comedown since I've done that.
1: What is the, I'm still stuck on, on what, he, what he told you. Did, did, is it something that you told me that he said? that we have a conversation in private? I'm, I'm sure it was. It, it was nothing
0: crazy, but it was just it was it was a friendly keep doing what you're doing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and then yeah, he elaborated all, all, yeah. a little further, but it was it was definitely cool. We got the picture. I got it framed. I gave one to my grandma. It's my lock screen. <laughs> this is like the greatest moment of my life. Anybody I can tell if I if I get a chance to tell the story, yeah. I will. But at the same time, I'd be a fool if I was content yeah. with this happening and never getting back there.
1: So, um, it is like a little bit freaky when you realize that the goals or the, the dreams that you kind of once were only in your imagination, you, when you realize they're about to come true, it, it does freak you out a little bit, right? Like it's a, like, it, you feel like a little stomach cause you're, cause it's, I, I don't know what it is. It's like, you, know, you never thought it would happen. And then it actually happened or what, but it is a little bit freaky, isn't it?
0: It was surreal, but like I said, I, I've just felt terrible since then. I'm like, that was super dope, but I have yeah. to make that the norm.
1: Yeah.
0: It was surreal though. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing it on my sleeve. Anybody I can tell, I tell. And I, I think I don't really give myself credit. I'm kind of like, yeah, whatever it happened. Uh, but that was one of those times where I took a step back, and I'm, I'm I'm enjoying the fruits of my labor. But it's still go time. Like I said, if I was content with just that, I'd be a fool. I got to get back there.
1: Have you had Have you had any exchanges with either of them since?
0: Nah, and 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 the the thing Joe told me at the end kind of implied we'd have an exchange again. So I'm just kind of waiting yeah. on that. And and if it never happens, at the very least, I can say I faced the fear. I made that connection, and now moving forward, it's not something I'll, I'll fear ever again. All
1: right. Very good. Very good. You and I had a, like a good 10-minute conversation that night, so uh, mm-hmm. I'm glad that you had that moment, and I hope it's the first of many more to come for you. That's and likewise. I appreciate it. Now, now on to uh, the basketball team. They, I, I, I've yet to talk about, The acquisition of Jaden McDaniel. Jalen McDaniels. (laughs) I hadn't made that mistake yet until tonight. Jaden would be nice too. (laughs) I actually evaluated Jaden, and I was like watching him play in college. I was like, "Are we sure this guy is top five prospect in his class? Like, are we sure this guy shouldn't be top five drafting?" And lo and behold, I uncovered an article on Jaden where it was like, it was like basically like like a a column type, you know. Piece where it was like, are we sure Jalen is in the top five recruit in his class? Um, so I, it, it was very much echoing my sentiments. Um, anyway, over to Jalen. Uh, they 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 give up, you know, the, their pick, their their second round pick that was likely to be via Charlotte uh, to Charlotte, and they send matisse liable to Portland. Some other picks involved uh, that second round picks, and they kind of loop it into the. Portland deal that sent Josh Hart to New York um, and Cam Reddish to Portland and they sent Matisse Stiebel to Portland and coming to Philly is J- Jalen McDaniels. Uh, Brock, first impressions of Jalen?
0: So he's only played 60 minutes across three games but I think there's really encouraging things that he put on tape within those 60 minutes. So if we start with the Brooklyn game He mostly ran with the second unit. He spent some time with the starters. But that kind of gave us insight as to what the Sixers expect with him when he's on the floor with the starters. You're going to be a spot-up guy, catch and shoot. If you have the ball in the corner and on the wing and the shot's not there, attack off of the catch, which is what you want your wing to do. He's a long wing. He's athletic, and he has that ability to create at all three levels. His game is somewhat limited. He's not this microwave of a scorer but he can create his own shot at all three levels. The Houston game, he played, I believe, 28 minutes because Houston doesn't play any defense. They're, of course, tanking right now, or for lack of a better term, they're going through it as an organization to get better post-James Harden. Right, so against Houston, he got to run more with the starters, run more with Maxi, play with pace a little bit, impact pace as a ball handler and a passer. But I think the most telling game was Cleveland because he did a ton of different things for Philadelphia. He played with the starters. He was the second player off of the bench behind Maxi. He was playing that spot up role. There were a couple of times when he attacked off of the catch from that spot up role defensively. He started on Darius Garland. He spent a few possessions defending Donovan Mitchell and he defended the pick and roll with Paul Reed really well hedging, blitzing, doubling because his length on the perimeter is really useful for the Sixers. So I think he's a guy that projects as a 3 and D glue guy with upside to be in the starting unit. Now, is that going to happen within his first 60 minutes? Of course not. Does that happen in the final 20 games? I don't believe so because I do think they have some continuity. But let's say in beat estimates time, you can start him. If PJ's not hitting, you need to bring him out for one game, you could put him on the floor He gives you that three and D there were a couple of times where Tobias over the past few games, didn't really have it. And Jalen was in the game In that Brooklyn game, his debut with the Sixers, he only played under 15 minutes. He spent the most important defensive possessions on the floor. So I think he's going to be really useful for the Sixers. He's a Matisse Thibel type build, except he does more than Matisse defensively short point of attack for Matisse might be better, but Jalen offers a lot more offensively. And the gap defensively is made up for because he can do those things on offense.
1: So I think like I guess I, I didn't think of a a while about how to introduce my observations here, which makes it sound like very formal and like I'm making ground here, but I'm not. I, I get away that I think it should be or I think I reflect on the acquisition on the first. First of all, I'm not surprised he's already been here for 60 minutes. Like, it didn't feel like he played 60 minutes, but he's here or there. Um, uh, I would say this. How many years have we kind of seen the Sixers zig what everyone else zags? Like, the whole league goes, hey, we need more uh, ball-dominant shot-creating wings. Sixers were like, well, I have the seven-foot whatever post-up. I got you, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of like the, the five best players in the world, but he's like the exact opposite of what the league one is I don't know. And they were like, well, you know, we need these shot-creating, you know, ball-handling guards. Well, I have the 6'10 point guard who won't shoot. Uh, but he's pretty good at like a lot of other things. They've they've gone like the exact opposite direction of the rest of the league for years and you know they finally they finally got a theoretical free and de-wing in the draft uh Matisse Thybul he couldn't shoot and so i feel like this and granted i'm not saying that you know Jalen McDaniels is some savior i don't know that to be the case yet um i don't you know i don't know what at his best he is but i will say this i think he represents the closest thing that they've had to like a modern role player i agree and uh, um you know it's like, like he, right now in this stage of, in in this part of his six years career, this first, you know, 20 something games,
0: he,
1: he might not do a ton of things the right way or how they would like a player to do things because you just get comfortable learning his new teammates, you know, um, all that different stuff. But I do think like in the Cleveland game, that when he's on the court, and specifically when he's on the court with Paul Reed, Those lineups are going to, excuse me, into, you know, good moments because of the raw athleticism that he and Paul Reed have. I think he's super athletic, a lot of raw talent there. Um, Has a long way to grow still. But, uh, uh, you know, the early signs have been encouraging. I think he's, like, taken only three threes, made two of them. Obviously, it's an inconclusive sample size. Um, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But I, I think we've seen the raw athleticism jump off the page in the first couple games. Like, his first bucket is a sixer. It's a staggered action on the right side of the floor. He, he he slips the ball straight and dives, and they lob up for him. And he not only does he dunk it, he catches it, cocks back a little bit, and throws it down. Like, they haven't had a guy who had the springs in his legs to do that in quite some time. Up um, And – I thought Darius Garland kind of, you know, dominated him when he was guarding him one-on-one, which is going to happen. Like, you're not going to win every matchup. I think, you know, we tend to – when you put a a, a very good wing on, uh, you know, a guard or what have you, we do tend, uh, as viewers of basketball, as analysts, to overestimate – the degree to which they are going to be able to shut a guy down, like we think, oh, they, oh, uh, you know, he scored, he, he he scored on, you know, five of eight possessions against this guy. Oh, uh, he got he got crushed. Like I think that's a, I actually think that is that, you know, that isn't that bad. Like five of eight, if, if you're if you're able to hold a player to relatively low shot quality, you know, uh, three of eight shots, and you're able to just make them work more than anything, that I think you've done your job. So I think the way that like, we measure did a player you know, defend his matchup well, I think we kind of do that the wrong way sometimes. Um, but he's going to be able to move his feet and use his length to really stay in front of guys. Uh, he'll make mistakes, of course, but his recovery, his ability to, to, to be out of position by accident and then still get to the right spot because he's so long, his ability to, you know, help in the middle and then double back to a shooter uh, on on the on the weak side of the floor when the swing pass is made. His ability to make the rotation over to the block, on, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and prevent a shot at the, or alter a shot at the rim. All things that he's capable of because of his body. The offense is going to take time, but I do think there are some things there that he can that Matisse Dial couldn't. The ability to. Uh, attack off the dribble and finish through contact. The ability to rise up and, and you know get the friendly bounce on a mid-range pull-up jumper. Uh, the three has to come along. It has to be better than thirty-two percent over the course of a, over the course of a season. But I think the early signs have been encouraging. And I think when push comes to shove in the playoffs, when they're they're playing a small-ball lineup and it's PJ at the five. And it's, you know, it's uh, take your pick, whoever else. He's going to be critical in that because the ability to switch across multiple positions uh, and really be a a versatile defensive wing is going to be huge for this team when it comes to winning minutes when Joel is not on the court. Um, I think it's very – I like it when Daryl does this. This is, just, this is not reporting. This is just me with trained, report careers. Daryl likes to say, he'll say things thing like this, we have his bird rights. So, When asked about the guy's future with the team, to me, this is just my opinion, not fact, this is my opinion, I translate that as putting the onus on ownership to be like, well, look, we don't have any inhibitions here. We can pay this guy. It's up to you guys to win a four-group of dollars. Like they have James Harden's bird rights, they have Jalen McDaniels' bird rights. Those are guys they would ostensibly like to bring back. I know Daryl said that he'd like to, like to bring them back. Um, from what I'm told, from Jalen's side, he's very excited and very happy to be here in Philly. Um, so it will be. It, it'll be interesting to see. But I do think that he's is an immense upgrade over Batiste Thibault, even if that three point shot never gets to you know, above league average or what, what have you, he, he has so many things that he can, he's such a more rounded off than Matisse style and can like process traffic and congestion and players in his way at a better speed and with more control than Thibault can. And I think, you know, at, at the end of the day, maybe if, even if the three isn't falling, the ability to catch off the swing pass and then attack the the lane hard and dunk over people uh, is huge. And if he can do that, he'll be fine. So the first thing I
0: wanted to say is 32% from beyond the arc is different than not being able to shoot. Correct. So while we don't love 32% the optics of it, at the time of the trade, He had as many makes from three as Matisse had attempts. So there's a difference in being able to shoot and shooting 32%. He's got a consistent three-point stroke because he's 6'7 plus potentially. He's able to shoot over guys and you feel comfortable with him catching and shooting the ball or at least like you said, navigating traffic, putting it on the deck. Whereas Matisse, if he were to use the dribble to get to the basket, make a layup, you'd be shocked. It's, It's almost like that was impossible for Matisse to do. So as a three-level bucket getter, I think he's an obvious upgrade over Matisse. Now, I'll touch back to that Cleveland game because here's why I think you should watch the games as opposed to just look at box scores or use statistics.
1: He did something. Oh, it drives me crazy. Of so course. One story. One story for you go. My dad would call me after a game. Like, so what would you think? Yeah, this and yeah, this, this, this. And I'm like, like I remember you remember this play when this happened? He'd be like, no, nah, I didn't watch the game. I was like, so how do you know? He's like, well, I watch the box scores. I, love- I was like, you are the worst type of fan. You don't He's actually watch the games. You just watch the box scores, and then you report back to me what the box scores say, as if I don't also read the box scores after I watch the game. Right. So <laughs> I don't
0: remember what Jalen's box – score totals were after the Cleveland game. I remember maybe a minus nine. He only had a couple of points, but here's what I saw when he spent time with the starters. Not only I mentioned earlier, did he spend time checking Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell playing the screens, playing the passing lanes, but there was a possession where Embiid played drop on a pick and roll. He blocked the ball off of the backboard. Jalen crashes. He grabs the loose ball. He gives it to James And then he runs the floor. He didn't get a basket. He didn't get the pass. James took the layup himself, and Jalen crashed. He didn't get the rebound. But when a coach sees that on tape, that's how you earn their trust. That's how you earn more minutes. This guy hunted the loose ball. He did what he was supposed to do, run in the open court. Shot goes up. He crashes. I think of another possession where he was playing as the low man. He tags the roller. He gets back out to the corner to contest the shot. So helping finish defensive possessions on offense, doing what he's supposed to do, fitting in with different lineup combinations. When he's on the floor with the starters spot up, when he's on the floor with the second unit, you have to be more of a bucket getter. So he's a guy that wears different hats for this team. And I think you make a really good point. This is probably the closest thing to a role player they've had in years, which is going to be crucial come playoff time. You don't need a guy that's going to put up 25 points. Of course, that'd be welcome, but between their top four guys, you don't need someone that's going to jack shots. You don't need someone that's going to handle the ball necessarily. You need a guy who's going to do the things, the dirty work that show up on film, but might not show up on the box score. That's crashing the glass. That's running in the open court. That's making the right pass, the extra pass. That's playing off, off of Embiid. If you need some space, Clear out. You see a guy in the corner, go to the dunker. Just make yourself a useful player. That's something Jalen's doing. And that's something that not a lot of young guys in his position would be able to do for a playoff contending team coming from a team that had sub 20 wins. So I think he's been a really nice fit through three games. I think what he's put on tape is really encouraging. And like I said, he is upside to potentially be a starter as a 3D glue guy, which those don't grow on trees in the NBA
1: yeah I, I don't know that he's like a glue guy per se. Like I, I get what you're saying. I think glue guys have to be able to connect both sides of the court. I think like Dario is a good glue guy. Not only did he have a type personality, but because he could make passes and like can, like connect the left side of the floor to the right side of the floor. Um, and I, I'm like at this point, I'm arguing over semantics doesn't really matter, but like I, I think that there is, you know, like. I, I, I think he's like a guy where if you have enough players of his archetype, you're going to be absolutely fine. If you could clone Jalen Daniel McDaniels three more times for this team, you'd be in a great spot.
0: Of course, but you can't. You can't clone a six, seven, seven-foot-plus athletic wing. Another thing that I'm just reminded of is in that Cleveland game, Tobias Harris – It was probably one of his worst defensive games I've watched as a Sixer. I mean, I'm talking about not blowing up screens, dying on screens, which you can't afford to do when your center plays predominantly drop coverage. Getting cooked by Donovan Mitchell on the perimeter when Embiid comes out to the perimeter. I saw Tobias had a terrible defensive game. And I bring Tobias up because while I'm watching him die on screens... I'm watching Jalen fight around screens to stay in front of those same offensive players, Darius, Donovan Mitchell. So it goes back to what you said earlier, making guys work. And that's kind of why I'm calling him a glue guy. Is he somebody that's going to connect everybody on the floor? Probably not, but I see a glue guy as a guy that's going to go out and do the, do the dirty work, but also play the game the right way, not die on screens, blow screens up, fight over screens, do what's best for the team on offense based on the personnel you're with. So, yeah, we're really arguing technicalities, but I think we both agree that Jalen's looked really good through his three games with the Sixers.
1: Absolutely. no a question about it. Um, question for you. Sure. Do you prefer the, like, the more traditional naming of positions, like one through five, or do you prefer to call them by actionable titles, like center, power forward, point guard, shooting guard? I think, For, one, through five, I, I I think one
0: through five based on the landscape of the NBA is the only acceptable answer. And what's ironic about that is you probably say the same. A lot of analysts would probably say the same. And yet our all-star and all-NBA ballots don't.
1: Yeah, it's true. I think it is funny because like um, to your point, like if we are to promote a more positionless game, I feel like framing it in the mind of center, power forward, small forward, shooting guard, point guard, is maybe something where it's like it, it's kind it, it doesn't it, it demotes discourages positionless concepts. On the other hand, I think you can mix up like I think you can say this guy's a point guard and everyone knows what you mean, and then you can go two through four to five and it can have a bunch of different meanings. you know what i mean
0: i understand that i think point is probably the one position that wouldn't get misconstrued it's really like the yannises and the lebrons and the lucas the oversized b- oversized ball handlers but even with that it's like what do you call devin booker what do you call sga yeah it gets confusing because these guys kind of are, are are one through two hybrids but Either way, the game is positionless. These teams play positionless. Their second units are positionless for the most part. I don't understand why the ballots are still point guard through center, but that's neither here nor there. We're going to talk about the All-Star game. Maybe that's one of the things the NBA can tweak over the next couple of years to bring some interest back.
1: Very good segue.
0: Credibility.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I watched all three nights. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I watched them live. Uh, I wish I had my nights back. Well, Those, listen, that, that was some of the worst basketball I've ever watched.
0: You do your due diligence as a basketball fan and watch All-Star Weekend. That's what you do. That's what we've grown up doing. But I think the product that people are expecting over All-Star Weekend is a little bit different than the product that the NBA and the players are putting forth overall star weekend.
1: Yeah.
0: It's a different game. It's 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 a different game. I have these conversations with my old man, right? The players used to have to be at all star weekend all weekend. How many players just showed up on Sunday? The games used to resume two days after the break. Now we have no basketball. and People like me and you are are aimlessly walking around with no purpose because we don't have basketball for four days. These guys need a vacation. The role players get one. Why don't we get one? Okay, here you go. Thursday. I mean, you got to pay guys to show up and talk to the media. You have to pay them to, to have a certain appearance. You have to pay them to play. These guys control the league. And because of it, All Star weekend is a little
1: bit different. So, yeah, I think basically, I don't know how you make you, you recover the weekend. I think, and I don't know that the NBA will ever like outright admit this. This that weekend was an embarrassment. It was an embarrassment to the league, uh, and the ratings on television reflect as much. It was uh, the game was non-competitive. It was a terrible game to watch, uh, even in the fourth quarter with the illa mending and 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 and, both, and like team Giannis was was trying to win. Team LeBron was like making staging a little bit of a comeback. There, they still were taking half-court shots. There were there was no attempt or effort to get Mm -hmm. like defensive stops. And it's a far and I will say this: like I know, like I'm I'm very much anti the whole like oh I was a kid type mentality of of viewing sports. All-star game did not used to be like that. That was yeah. No, that was that was an embarrassment of a, uh, of of a game for everybody involved. Um, So, you know, I I just wonder
0: how you incentivize playing and caring about the all-star game. They all make money for the charity. Regardless, no one cares about who goes home with the Kobe Bryant all-star trophy. No one cares how many points he scored. Nobody cares to play any defense. It should be pretty damning when the head coach of one of the teams that participated in the all-star game said it was the worst game of basketball he's ever watched the head coach. This isn't, this isn't Kenny the jet Smith. This is the head coach of one of the two teams participating. So I wonder how do you incentivize it? These guys are 20 years old walking around like their shit don't stink. Why should I have to do the slam dunk contest and in the all-star game they don't care either there's there's just no pride about it it used to be something you use on your resume accolades the festivities they don't care anymore they want to be in Turks and Caicos and 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 Punta Cana can't blame them for that honestly i of course uh, you can't say i blame
1: them i just it's it's a tough position for the yeah. league although i will say this I have always found the celebrity game to be more interesting than anything else. the All-Star
0: Weekend. The one thing I don't watch over the All-Star Weekend is the celebrity game. It's just on at a strange time. It's like, what, Friday night at like 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock? I'm not tuning in. It tells
1: you you the state of my life. (laughs) Uh, But actually, the MLB All-Star Weekend, Celebrity softball game is actually very fun to watch.
0: But you bring up MLB All-Star Weekend, right? Don't the best home run hitters in the world participate in the home run derby?
1: Yes, and they want to. They they're, they they feel like a, an obligation to go out and try to hit homers.
0: Right, and so you've got you've got uh, Mac McClung in the G League yeah. participating the way, in the dunk contest, and the Sixers get a memo, yo, call this dude off for a 10-day so a G Leaguer's not winning the NBA dunk contest. Yeah.
1: A two-way, yeah. Um, what is your take on that? It sounds like you were very much anti-Mac McClung. Not anti, but maybe not anti, but like you clearly would have liked an actual legitimate NBA player to have won, to have won that affair. no, I don't, affair, know, I don't I mind. I think Mac McClung winning
0: is cool. I think the reputation precedes itself. This is something he's been doing since high school. I'm happy for him. He made was he what he's made throughout his career one night. It's a moment that he deserves. I'm not taking yeah. anything away from him, but when you've got Jericho Sims, Trey Murphy and who else? I don't even remember who else was in the dunk contest. Trey Murphy, Jericho Sims, and uh, who else was in it? I think that was yeah, Exactly. Uh, I, I watched it. I don't even remember who else participated.: uh, Who what?
1: Who else was in it?
0: And that's what's unfortunate. Right, you used to have Dominique and Jordan and Kobe and Vince Carter, and now the best you can do is is tra- And it's funny, Kevin Durant on his podcast the day or two before was like, "Look, bro, how does this look for the league? All all respect to Mac, how does this look for the league that you got a G Leaguer up in here?" And the G Leaguer won. Like I said, I'm not taking anything away from Mac McClung; he deserves that moment. So
1: it was, it was. Supposed to be Shadon Sharp, who it was it ended up not playing. Uh, it was Kenyon Mar- Kenya Martin Jr. Kenyon Martin Jer- Jr. Jer- oh, right. Yeah, Jer- Jericho Sims, Trey Murphy, and Matt McClung.
0: And if you think about the history of the dunk contest, I said all those names, you get to LeBron. LeBron set the precedent, but he did that because he felt he was snubbed from the All Star game when he didn't make it. They asked him to do the dunk contest. No, I'm not going to do it. And since then, He set a precedent. The problem is now you've got the best dunkers in the world, Zion and Ja, who refuse to do the competition. And it's cool because they're going to make $40, $50 million a year. They have their sights set on much different goals. They don't care about the slam dunk contest. But this is why the league's in a tricky situation. You can't incentivize trying in the all-star game because the guys just want to go on vacation and load manage. You can't incentivize the dunk contest The skills challenge is a joke. You had terrible ratings for the all-star game two, three years after you tweaked the entire format and people loved it. So now what do you do? Everyone's complaining about all-star weekend. Everyone's complaining about the all-NBA ballots. Everyone complains about the all-star voting ballots. Everyone complains about load management. Everyone complains about the contract structures. Everyone complains about everything. The CBA is going to have to have have to address some of this stuff. It's like what Charles Barkley said, you give a guy. What's crazy is back in the day contracts, money, it used to mean something. You've got Manny Machado. This is a baseball reference. The guy signed a, a 10 year contract, right? In his fourth year of the contract, he's opting out in the NFL and the MLB and the NBA you can sign a guy to a four-year, $200 million contract, right? You get $50 million a year. Put your name on paper. After year one, they could say, I don't want to play here anymore. Get me out of here. And then completely alter the trajectory of your franchise. I mean, something's going to have to happen. Four-year contracts are two-year deals now.
1: I think... Ultimately, it's the result of the current commissioner, honestly. But I, um, I, I
0: like Adam Silver.
1: I like him. I think no, no, I, I, I think. you can separate the fact that you like him. that He's done a good job from the fact that he has enabled uh, more player empowerment than ever before. And some people would tell you that that's a great thing. It's a player's league, yada, yada, yada. Okay, but then don't come crying to me when your favorite player asks, out of his, uh, asks off your team. Because you know he wants to go play somewhere else. Like, there's no sense of honoring your contractual commitment to your team anymore. Um, so you know, it is. You just gotta hope your team that your team is not next. <laughs> um, couple couple takes I have for you. Uh, can we stop with the Ondiako brothers on the on the skills challenge, please? <laughs> like, 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 like. They the, – the Holiday plus the two Antetokounmpo brothers made two shots in that – whatever that whatever that, that game is. Holiday made one. The other two Antetokounmpo brothers combined to make one shot between the two of them. Why are we trying to force the Antetokounmpo brothers on everyone to watch? Like, I, don't, like, I, I, like, I,
0: I don't think it's that. I just think it's Giannis putting his people on. But I will say – I didn't used to really mess with the Nassus Antetokounmpo. I think he might be my idol, bro. I'm, I'm dead serious. I think the Nassus (laughs) might be my idol. Think about it. Right. He puts on a flop, bro. He puts on a fly outfit and sits courtside for every NBA game. When he's healthy, he gets to put the bucks uniform on. He gets some burn. He can't do anything. He can't score, but because he's a Giannis build sure he could defend rebound. He could do some of those things. But he's not a great basketball player. He's good enough to be in the league and get some burn. But for the most part, he puts on a fly outfit. He watches every game courtside. His brother is Giannis. Every player, because they mess with Giannis, messes with him by default. I mean, that's the dream job. The Nassas Antetokounmpo is one of the best jobs in the USA.
1: So it's not. You're not wrong there. Um, let's see. Yeah, I just, I just can't get behind that whole, like, Yeah, watch these guys shot after shot after shot in a wide-open shooting drill. It's a wide-open drill. (laughs) Um, And then the next phase. I actually love the three-point contest. I think that's one of the best things every year, uh, three-point contest. George Niang should have been there this year.
0: Well, I don't know what what Julius Randle is all about. You mean to tell me you couldn't call somebody to do a better job than Julius Randle? 13 points yeah. When when have you ever associated Julius Randle with three point shooting, let alone the three point shooting contest?
1: Yeah, shoot I don't, I don't
0: the, the three ball in a game, but
1: different I settings. suspect I suspect it was a late like a late thing like, hey, we know you're already there this weekend, so we want to come join us.
0: Hey, like, of course, that type doing. of thing.
1: Um, but there are certain guys you can just tell are not going to be able to do well in a three point contest like uh julius randall is definitely one of them some guys just do not have the mechanic build of their jump shot that allows them to be good candidates for a three point contest. they need to, they need a long exaggerated load they need to dribble first before they shoot all this stuff it's and i thought dame was ready and poised to win that whole thing from the minute he stepped on the court he knew what he was doing
0: okay and you said that was your favorite part of all-star weekend because they got legitimate three point shooters to participate and the best shooters in the world cared about winning. Dame said I'm the be- I'm one of the best shooters in the world. Why would I lose this competition? So if you're one of the best dunkers in the world, why don't you put on a show and save the sport?
1: Yeah. I don't think I don't think the three point contest is alluring because of like, you know, watching this guy make shots. I think it's like could we see a guy make 20 shots in a row. Yeah, like, It's cool. It's, it's... like, like the, sh- the the streak possibility of it is cool. Um, to me, the dunk contest. W- w- what was Jericho even doing there? He-, <laughs> he dunked for like, I'm going to put my arm through the rim.
0: <laughs> Crazy bounce, good dunk package, but he's almost big to a fault when you're that big. It's unless you're Dwight or JaVale it's kind of yeah. tough to be creative. So that, that yeah. arm through the rim after doing it on the first dunk and then claiming 50 afterwards when the crowd wasn't moved is insane. That's insane. And I actually think Trey Murphy had a pretty good dunk contest. I like Trey. He's yeah. not a dunker. He, he's, he's not a dunker who can hoop. He's a hooper who can dunk.
1: It's, you just knew that Mack was probably going to have the advantage. Because he's a, a smaller guard, and that always and, and them and smaller guards being able to dunk is always an inherently bigger display, you know? Yeah, and credit to uh, Mac,
0: man. Cred- credit to Mac yeah. who did what he had to do on the biggest stage of his life. Return to so Mac, shout out Mac.
1: Um, people made a big deal of Joel playing in the all star game. What did you
0: think of that? I mean, you saw the defense that was played. Who cares? It's not like he was being guarded. He was surprised by how open he was every time he caught the ball in the lane. Hey, oh, no one's going to guard me. Okay. And after about a couple of possessions, whatever, it was a light cardio for him. And I think if he had to be there from Friday through Sunday, he maybe probably doesn't play. But they said, whatever, show up whenever you feel like. He came on Sunday, rolled out of bed, went to the All-Star game, put on his show, and nobody tried. So I'm I'm cool with it. If it would have been competitive, and still, it's his decision. So it's not like I care either way. But if it would have been competitive, maybe a different story. But for those people triggered by it, I ask, you saw the defense. You saw the competitiveness or lack thereof. What's the problem?
1: Yeah, I had – there. Were, there was such little chance of him getting hurt in that game because of the level of physicality and the level of defense being played. He was basically jogging into it. It was the most stress th- stress-free, stress easy 32 points he's ever scored in his life. I had no problem with it. And, you know, people were like, well, you better not do be this as questionable over Thursday. Like, even if he is. And I, like this is the thing that like drives me crazy about Sixers fans. They're like, well, I'll, oh, he's listed questionable again. What part of we have to manage this does not register in your brain? What part of this is a day-to-day thing? We see how he feels the next day. Does not tick to you. Not every day is going to be the same. Some days are going to hurt. Other days are going to feel better. That's what a sprained foot or ligament, whatever is. It isn't a uniform. Oh, he feels better now. So he's good to go. It's some days. Oh, maybe I'm getting better today. Next day? Uh, Actually, maybe not. I don't want to put
0: on a cape for Embiid, right? But somebody that size isn't supposed to do what he does on a consistent basis in terms of the physicality. And that's something Drew told me when we're watching the game. He said Embiid knows it. A couple of years after he's retired, he won't be able to walk. That's how much he sacrifices to play. The questionable tag has been present for Embiid's entire career. It's nothing new. He, he's questionable or not. If if he's healthy and he can suit up, he's going to do it. you say that Drew said that he's going to be able to walk?
1: <laughs> Drew fear. told
0: me within three years after Embiid retires, he's not going to be able to walk, or at least the same way that he did before or during he was playing. It's. I mean, Interesting. It's true. It's true. The guy's seven feet. The guy's 275-plus pounds. He plays live action basically every day for seven months out yeah. of the year. And guys that big aren't supposed to go up and down the court time and time again for the length of their career. It's. it's I, do just, think,
1: I, I do think that there's going to be some pain that he doesn't feel now that he's going to start feeling in his legs and feet when he stops having to condition his body every day. That's
0: bro, sure. Surgeries, jumping up and down, landing yeah. on stuff weird, running up and down. He's that big. That's a wild thing to say. <laughs> I don't. Th-
1: I don't think it is wild. I don't. I, it's just a wild thing to say about your client. Like
0: <laughs> well, he knows that. how much work Joe puts in. It's it's common knowledge. It's. I don't think that's anything I. I didn't feel comfortable sharing. There are things that I'm not going to get into from that experience that Drew and yeah. I talked about. But that's one thing that's just implied. It's it's like. You've seen Shaq's feet, these bigs, they, they wobble around. They need canes. They're hunched over. It's just a, a physical limitation thing. When you're that big, you could only put your body through so much for a period of time. And he sacrifices so much to be healthy and to play, like I said, surgeries and all these little banks and nicks that happen. Like, people just watch basketball. They never play it. And they just see the game. When you're around it, when you play there are so many nuances within the game. You 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 land on your ankle weird. Nobody saw it. You pull your shoulder out. Nobody saw it. This person elbowed you here, and it hurts for two months, but nobody saw it. Like so many things throughout the throughout the course of the game happen, where you get these bumps and bruises and wear and tear, and and people never see it. But that happens on a
1: day to day basis. It's a while. It, it would be a sad reality, but it would also. In retrospect, something that I think Philly fans are like, oh, he isn't dedicated to winning, you know, yada, yada, yada. It would take a lot more – be a lot more appreciative of him if they, if, if that were to become the case. You give your body and your ability to walk without pain for, you know, a city, for a team, that's it's, it's special. Um, final stretch of the year, the, se- the season resumes – I guess by this point it'll be tomorrow, Thursday. It, you might most people will be listening to this on Thursday, so it resumes tonight. In that case, um, they have this is their upcoming uh, <laughs> six game stretch, hosting Memphis, hosting Boston, hosting Miami, at Miami, at Dallas, at Milwaukee. That's just six of the stretch. They are on the road for. I think something like one two three nine. 12 of their 14, 12 of their 15 March games are on the road. We are going to learn what this team is really made of in this stretch. We are going to learn – and if Joel you – know, I know that second straw poll came out. Joel, you know, was the third place – Uh, I I will say this. I think he probably knew that that was coming before it it came out. Just from my observations of, you know, the dynamic in that arena, uh, I I have a sense that he probably knew and wasn't blindsided by it. Um, But I think it is not over for him yet. Even though Jokic had 77 first place votes,
0: <laughs> to Joelle, six, like the margin was yeah. like sixty five votes.
1: Yeah, it was like so. Jo- Joel had six. Um, uh, Giannis, yeah, Gian- Gian- Giannis, had like eleven, and uh, Jokic had seventy seven. So Jokic it was pretty handily above the rest. Um, I will say this. I think there is a chance that Joel could still win it. Now, I think this, what he does in the month of March is going to make or break uh, that possibility. If Joel is going to win MVP, which I know despite what he says, he cares deeply about He's going to have to average something like 40 and 15. Like not a week, you know, thirty-two and 10, thirty-three and ten double double. you got to call it weak though.
0: Thir- thirty-two and ten—that's that's good Brock, for the scoring Brock,
1: title. Brock, Brock, it's an excellent output of scoring. Ten rebounds a game for him is not enough. He needs to be getting. He needs to be getting that rebounding number up far higher than ten. If and I, you know that isn't to say like I, I know for a fact that'll do it, but basically what he, what he needs to do. He needs to just go out there and simply dominate pretty much every night. They need, they're going to have to win 10 of these March games for him to really capture some attention in, in down the stretch of his voting campaign. I think the placement of this stretch in their schedule gives him a chance. that If it hadn't been like this, he would not have had a chance. But the level of competition they are going to play the rest of the way this season Particularly over the March count the March strength of the schedule, that will give him a chance to say, you know what? If I am the best player on the court in two of every three games there, and I am easily the best player on the court, they can't deny me. If my team is they can, 500, they've done it already. Done well, it already. well I, I think there's a chance there. And it isn't going to be about him just beating up the superstar counterpart it's about can he lock in and focus and annihilate the backups that are that, that that when that player leaves the floor can he go to work when it's not Brooke Lopez and Giannis but it's Bobby Portis and somebody else don't think he does. can he go to work when it's no, 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 no. I think he can. I think he does. What I'm saying is he needs to lock in for 48 minutes if he is if he wants to be that guy. I I, I don't think he has as much room to games going forward the rest of the way. If he if he wants to win MVP, that is. Um, but he's gonna have an opportunity because they're gonna play some tough games the month of March.
0: I think it's out of his control. We're gonna see what they're about, the Sixers. But if they're a contender, then the schedule shouldn't mean anything. You should be looking forward to playing Dallas twice and playing Boston twice, getting film on your team against Miami, playing Phoenix, playing a Western Conference opponent in Memphis. I think it's important to build good habits through this tough competition and learn more about your team for the playoffs because they're going to make the playoffs. Here's the reality. Denver has a five-game lead. In first place, I assume they're going to hold first place through the remaining half of the season. The Sixers are three games back from first. Giannis has the wrist injury. He'll maybe miss one, two weeks. So that probably puts him out of contention for what's shaping up to be the biggest stretch of the Sixers season. It's a two-man race, but the straw poll makes me feel terrible about it. I wouldn't be as mad about Jokic winning MVP this season... As I would last, I think last year was the year that that they got wrong. I've spoke on that plenty, but I I really don't care about the MVP race anymore. It's a tired argument. This guy averages 33 a game. He's going to have the scoring title twice at the center position, which is unprecedented. He goes out every night. He dominates on both ends of the floor. When he cares, he can beat anybody in the NBA. That's Jokic, Giannis. It doesn't matter. And I think the only thing that matters to me with the Sixers now, I don't care about all-star MVP, James Harden, not making the team. Maxi winning six. I don't care about any of it. Can they get to the conference finals? To me, that's my championship. I I don't even care if they win the finals. Can they get past the same spot I've seen them all short at for three, four years now? If they make it to the conference finals, if they even so much as get to the finals, it's a season of progression for me. And I think that makes you feel better about signing James long-term. Maybe you look internally, you, you, you replace some coaches, who knows, but that's the only thing I care about. I really don't care about MVP anymore. They're both tremendous talents. I don't want to hold against Jokic. I think it's a shame that seven seasons now in Embiid's career, he has nothing to show for it. No first team, all NBAs, no MVPs, no depoys, when re- in reality he has he should have some hardware, uh, but that's out of his control. That's out of my control. And when that that poll says Jokic seventy seven and Bead six, I don't think anything's gonna change.
1: It's actually a good with in the pod here. You you mentioned the checkpoint to which they have not surpassed this point in the Joel era. I think we – I don't think people will do this because I think that they think very like single-minded focus sometimes. But uh, I think it makes more sense to judge how they lose over when they lose. In other words, how are those second-round series playing out instead of are you losing in the second round binary, binary, yes or no? Because I think you learn more about the true chops of your team and you can build on more than you can when you just say, oh, we've lost that round again and got to scrap it. But because- it's, it's
0: just happened too many times. If, this, if you were to say that two years ago, yeah. It's just happened too many times now. It's it's just the same thing over and over again. I don't care how they lose. I don't care if Embiid gets another orbital fracture and James pulls a hamstring. Knock on wood. If they lose in the second round again, you're gonna have to look You're gonna have to look at yourselves in the mirror and and make some serious changes. You can't just keep rolling this out every year and losing in the second round.
1: But I see like. It isn't like they've had the same team though, every loss. like Ben Simmons was there for one, two, three of the second round losses. James has been well, been there for Joel has been there for you know all of them. what doc has been there for three. like I don't think it's I don't think it's that you lose there because as your team changes, so does the rest of the field. As Daryl Morey and Elton Brandon management have improved the team, I think we can all we can both they have each offseason made the team better, despite some constraints here and there. Um, they've shape shifted the team in some way and have made the team better. It's that other teams around them also naturally get better too. And I think right, like I don't think there's a lot of shame if you lose to. The Celtics or the Bucks in the second round; those are two very good teams, and I think it's one thing if you lose in five. It's another thing if it goes down to a two-possession game in Game Seven, as if this city, this as if this fan base could take another Game Seven close game. But, point stands. I do think that the way that you lose matters at least as much, if not more, than the checkpoint at which you lose.
0: My only problem with that is you see what happens to these teams that have shortcomings in the playoffs. Two things. If you pair James and you pair Joel, and they're both top 10 in the NBA and how much money they make each season, and they're slated as this incredible duo, and you spend all this money on Tobias, you make this trade, you add here and there – and you fall short to a team like Boston or Milwaukee, there's going to be an implosion. You're going to have James walk and Beats going to request a trade. Daryl Morey's going to resign. They're going to have to rehire Brett Brown from San Antonio. Of course, I'm exaggerating, but teams implode. And especially if you do the same thing over and over and over again, people grow tired. They grow frustrated. Another thing is, If you lose to Milwaukee, if you lose to Boston, I do think there is shame in that because look at what Milwaukee's done to optimize Giannis in the past few years. Look at what Boston's done to optimize their duo of Jalen and Tatum in the past few years versus the Sixers are falling short again when they have the talent, but they're losing to Milwaukee and Boston. Why? You've got Embiid, you've got James. Why? Well, he doesn't have the right coach, so you get a new coach. Well, he doesn't have a wing, so you get a wing. Well, he didn't have the right guy in the front office. So you can't just keep losing in the same exact spot, doing the same thing and expecting a different result. That's how people get frustrated, and that's how an implosion happens, in my opinion.
1: So what's your next step if they lose in the round?
0: I have no idea. I hope they don't lose in the second round. I want to celebrate them making it to the conference final, so I can have a moral victory. But I, I don't know what the future holds. If that happens, I don't know how frustrated Embiid is. I don't know the manner in which they lose. I don't know if that prompts James to ask out, opt out. I don't know if Doc gets fired. It's it's a whole plethora of bad shit that can happen. So how about we not do that and get to the conference finals for once in, in my fucking life, bro? How about that?
1: <laughs> I will say this. I I had it on no, I don't want to say that. I, I I would say that I would be pretty surprised if Joel asked out. Like any, maybe once he hits really? his, when, when you wouldn't,
0: I wouldn't, bro. Everybody asks out now. It's the thing to do. Unless you're Bradley Beal, who's getting 250 m's, and and Dame Lillard. Granted, the Sixers can pay Embiid. He's going to be top three highest paid within next next few seasons. But money and contracts don't matter. KD, Kyrie, James Harden, these guys. They can all ask out, and, and once they ask out, they're gone. It doesn't matter.
1: I would be surprised if Joel asks out any, any time in the next two, three years. Maybe he hits 32 and they haven't done anything yet. It's like, all right, let me have a chance to win a title. But I, I just don't see it in the short term.
0: Well, that's my guy. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. <laughs> it, sounds
1: like you, it sounds like you've had this conversation with him before.
0: No, nah, no. We didn't talk about any of that. No, of course <laughs> not.
1: No. <laughs> All right. Oh he is Brock Landis. Any content you want to promote, Brock? Uh,
0: just Twitter, YouTube. That's where I post everything at. So the Twitter is at Landis Brock. YouTube, Brock Knows Ball. Austin, I appreciate you. Always a pleasure, my friend.
1: No problem, everybody. I will have a story on Jalen McDaniels. I had an interview with his trainer a couple a couple days ago, He's so I will, I will be writing that up soon. Um, posting that. You going to look out next couple days for that. He is Brock Landis. You can find him on Twitter at Landis Brock. I am Austin Krell. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Krell. I cover the Sixers. He is a YouTube extraordinaire video creator. I don't even know the words that the kids use these days. <laughs> so I'm just trying to do you the best justice I can. Um, Brock, it's been, been, been tremendous. Have a good night, my friend.
0: You as well. Thank you. Stepping back and stroking to
1: Bogdanovich thinking about There it is! Yes! See it again. No double team help in the feed. Takes it right to the rack.